Our sermon text this evening, as you can see, will be Psalm 16. We'll go ahead and, and cover all 11 verses of that, which are printed there for you on the notes sheet, if you'd like to follow along. You see also there's several more points than normal, so buckle up. Just kidding. So let us now hear from God's word tonight from Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, the Psalter is a collection of 150 songs of Israel collected over a long period of time, composed over many different decades, and carefully arranged into five books. And our psalm this evening is in the first book of the Psalter. And it's surrounded by several other psalms of David, which are quite different in tone. All the other psalms surrounding Psalm 16 are bleak. They're they're laments and cries for help. I'll read a few excerpts from them just to give us an idea of how Psalm 16 compares to its uh, context in the Psalter. Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 14, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And here we have to pause because this may sound like a simple question in Psalm 15, but this is a lament because in this psalm, David is describing the kind of person who belongs to on God's holy hill and with him in his temple. And it becomes clear in his description that no such person exists. And David is lamenting that fact. And then Psalm 17, the psalm after our psalm for this evening. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So that's the context in which Psalm 16 is placed in terms of the arrangement of Book 1 of the Psalter. But it isn't like those psalms. It's not a lament or a cry for help, at least not in its entirety. Verse 1 makes us think it might be, as we read just a moment ago. It begins with David's sort of general cry to the Lord for assistance. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But after that initial plea and cry for help, the rest of the psalm is David describing the reasons he has for contentment. 
So verse 1 shows us David is in some kind of trouble, just like he was uh, when he wrote those other psalms that surround this song. And this is a crucial reminder for us right away that our contentment is not necessarily connected to our positive life circumstances. David is content despite the danger that we know he's facing from this opening verse. But his focus in Psalm 16 is not on that danger itself or the trial that he's facing, but rather on God and all the things God has given him in order that he can be content even in the midst of his trouble. So as we go through this psalm, we'll look at the six reasons David describes and and lists for uh, us and for Israel uh, for our contentment. And the first and foremost reason is in verse 2. The Lord is his. David was content because he knew God. He knew the Lord. He's using the covenant name of God here, Yahweh. And he's saying to Yahweh, you are my Lord. So he's thinking covenantally here. He's remembering the covenant promises that God had made to his people and to him. Not only those promises to Israel, but also the former promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those promises that were based on God's free grace. And as those who believe that same gospel, even today, as it is administered to us and proclaimed to us post-resurrection in the new covenant, David's covenant Lord has given himself to us in Christ. We are his and he is ours. So just like David in Psalm 16, we can rest chiefly and primarily in the fact that God is ours and we belong to him. So no matter what we're going through in life, the fact that we know the Lord never changes. And that is the bedrock, the foundation for our joy and contentment as believers. We find David's second reason for contentment in verse 3. So the first reason was knowing the Lord. The second reason is knowing the Lord's people. This term, mighty ones, which is here translated as saints, Um, are David's way of talking about the Lord's people, his fellow believers among him in Israel. Now, the term mighty ones in Hebrew usually referred not to believers in the Lord, but to other spiritual beings like false gods of the nations or perhaps those with political power like kings and princes. Those were the mighty ones, typically, when you heard that term. But David provides a new definition here. He says that those who are mighty and excellent are not Canaanite deities or angels or kings and princes and rulers, but they are those who trust in God. And he's grateful that he's not alone in his faith. He rejoices that there are others who also claim Yahweh as their God. So, as we hear David's thankful words in verse 3, we are reminded to be thankful for those who also call on the name of the Lord, those in the church. Not only for the fact that there is a Catholic church, a universal church, but we should be thankful for each other here in this congregation, those we have the blessed privilege of knowing and serving and loving and hearing from and getting to worship with every week. We can sometimes be tempted to Uh, despair about church fellowship, only looking at all the downsides and the ways we sin against each other and, and all of that that's present among us. 
Or we might be tempted to idealize church fellowship and expect our brothers and sisters in Christ to meet all of our needs that we can't meet ourselves without any issue. And if we have either of those outlooks, we'll be disappointed. But getting back to the basics, the mere fact that there's a community of believers that exists at all is God's grace to us. He has given us each other, and he's given us all gifts for mutual upbuilding and benefit and encouragement. And as we use those to benefit each other, that's not going to play out sinlessly and perfectly, but it is for our genuine good, and it's something that we can be thankful for. And it's a reason that we can find contentment in the midst of our troubles in this life. The third reason David finds contentment, even in the danger that faces him, we find in verse 4 where he says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So there's two ways we can look at this verse. Uh, The first is is the negative perspective that David is presenting here. Uh, In sharp contrast to the appreciation he's just expressed for his fellow believers, those who are loyal to Yahweh, now he is expressing this disdain for idolaters and those who engage in false worship. But this isn't David lapsing into a spell of sinful self-righteousness. He's not propping himself up as someone who does all the right things in contrast to these people who do all the wrong things. Rather, he's simply declaring where he stands, which is on God's side. God will not tolerate any forms of false worship, and David echoes that sentiment here. So while those in neighboring nations, and sadly even some Israelites in this day, poured out blood offerings and drink offerings to false gods, David refuses to call on the name of any of those false gods or participate in any of those ceremonies. Now, the second way we could look at this verse is from a positive perspective. We could say that David is thankful that he is not bound to or forced to engage in any kind of false worship. He is glad that he can worship the true God truly. He doesn't have to take part in these pointless pagan rituals who are performed by uh, people who are deceived and who continue to deceive themselves. He's delighted instead to be able to worship the true sovereign of the universe, Yahweh, his covenant Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth. And likewise, as Christians, we should feel joy and gratitude each Lord's Day as we gather morning and evening to worship the Lord with the Lord's people as he has instructed us to do. And according to his instructions, he gives us in his word. Thus, we can be content knowing that we haven't been left to the hopeless task of constructing our own religion or choosing one of the religions of the world to follow. Both of those paths lead to dead ends, but instead, by God's grace in Christ, we have been placed on a path leading to eternal life, and we can worship God for that truly. Reason four for David's contentment is described in the next two verses, verses five and six. And essentially, these verses express David's satisfaction in the Lord's providence. The language he uses is borrowed from the book of Joshua and the narrative of the apportioning of the land of Canaan to the 12 tribes. The four key words here, portion, lot, boundary lines, and inheritance, were all used in that narration of that story, the distribution of Canaan. 
So David uses this analogy of the apportioning of the promised land to speak about God's ordering of his life and the things that God has given him, the circumstances that God has sent his way. And because God is ultimately his lot and his portion, David can be content knowing that no matter what his inheritance appears to be, and no matter how it may feel day to day, he knows it's good because the one who apportioned it is good. And he declares this in spite of the fact we know that he's in trouble. Providentially, things are not looking good for him as he writes this song. He opened with a cry for help. Something's wrong. And yet here he still writes this confession of trust in verses 5 and 6. In the Lord's good, apportioning and his wise providence. Which reminds us that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how we feel day to day about what's going on in our lives, anything from things are going great, we feel delighted every day to wake up and face the day, to the struggle to even get out of bed in the morning as we face tragedy after tragedy seemingly in our lives. Anything from riches to poverty, sickness to health, anything at all, the boundaries of our inheritance have been determined by God who loves us and who gave himself for us. So while we certainly do not rejoice in the sufferings that we experience, and we don't see David doing that here, we can have joy knowing that the Lord is the one in control. He's on our side and he is with us. That leads us right into reason five for David's contentment. In verses seven and eight, we see that David is content knowing that he has access to the comforting counsel of the Lord. And one thing that really stands out in these verses is the second part of verse seven, when David says that in the night, he talks about in the night. I think it's easy to worry at nighttime, isn't it? As you're laying in bed, the daily tasks are done, and your body is still, there's nothing left for you to do except for your mind to wander. And it wanders all over the place with anxiety and worries. And it goes places that you don't want it to go. And as you lay still on your pillow, your mind is racing and you're unable to sleep. That's a common experience. And certainly it's something David experienced as he was going through this time of trouble. But he says that even in the night, the Lord gives him counsel and instructs him. And of course, here he says that his heart instructs him. But what heart is he talking about? David is talking about the new heart that he's received from the Lord, his reshaped mind and will and desires that have been fashioned anew by the God of grace. So really, it is the Lord who's instructing David in these sleepless nights. He's able to recall God's promises and be encouraged, and he's able to find hope in those promises. And then in verse 8, David writes that the Lord is always before him and at his right hand, And because of that, he will not be shaken. God goes before him, leading him down a path of safety. And God is beside him at his right hand, which is the place of support and protection. We could think of this in terms of of a fatherly analogy that might ring true for us. David, we could compare to a young boy learning to ride his bicycle with his father running beside him holding on to the handle or to the seat, making sure that he doesn't fall, making sure that he's secure. As those in Christ, we could take that metaphorical image and apply it to ourselves because God is our Father as well. Recall Jesus' words to Mary Magdalene recorded for us in John 20. 
He said, go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So the Lord is not only our God and our our covenant head, but he is also our father. He has adopted us as his own children. And so as our heavenly father, he cares for us as his children, even as he cared for his own eternally begotten son. Well, sixth and finally, in verses 9 through 11, we see David find contentment in the future promise of resurrection. David is confident that his flesh dwells secure because his God is a resurrecting God. Even when I die, David says, I know that's not the end for me. He's looking beyond this life. So even if his circumstances, whatever he was going through when he wrote this song, even if they never improved, he still has hope in the life to come because this earthly life is not all that there is. In faith, he looks forward to the new life and the new creation where he will have a new body. And dwelling on that gives him great joy. So again, this reminds us that our contentment in some respects is related to our perspective, the way we look at things. If we have a worldly mindset and we're focused only on the things of this earth and this life and this age, we'll demand things like health and prosperity and physical security to feel content. But with a heavenly mindset, a mindset fixed on the eternal hope that we know we have secure for us in Christ, We won't demand any worldly blessing to feel content. Rather, we can be satisfied simply knowing that if things never improve for us in this life, we will dwell forever in joy, unspeakable with God forevermore in the world to come. And that's what David is thinking about here as he writes these final verses and what it reminds us of. So we've seen David's six reasons for contentment, even in the midst of his trouble here in Psalm 16. But there's one problem with it, which you may have noticed. It's in verse 10, where David seems to be saying that the Lord will not allow him to rot in the grave. But that's exactly what happened to David. His body decayed like every other person who's ever been buried in the earth. It decomposed, got eaten by worms. So how do we solve this problem? Well, We don't have to. Peter does for us in Acts 2, where we read, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So the Apostle Peter says in Acts 2 in his sermon on the day of Pentecost that David in Psalm 16 was speaking as a prophet. He knew that he was only a type of the great king to come. In faith, he recognized he was not the ultimate manifestation of the king of God's people. That would be someone else. So he prophesied in Psalm 16.10 about that great king to come, even though my body might experience decay, even though my body will rot in the grave, the promised one will never experience that. David spoke as a prophet, and of course that prophecy came true. The Lord Jesus' body did not see decay, even in those three days when he was in the tomb. So as the ultimate Davidic king, the words of Psalm 16 are Jesus' words. 
And as with all other types that he fulfills and prophecies he fulfills, Jesus escalates things. He takes them to a higher degree. So when we consider Jesus' life, we'll recognize that he suffered more than David. He suffered more than any human being who's ever lived, both in his life and in his death on the cross. And yet Jesus was also more content than David or than any other human being who has ever lived because he had a perfect unwavering trust in his heavenly father that afforded him perfect satisfaction. And because we're in Christ, the words of Psalm 16 become ours as well. Our bodies will not in an ultimate sense suffer decay. We'll be raised to new life with incorruptible bodies, spiritual bodies, as Paul calls them. And not only this, all the other reasons we listed in Psalm 16 for David's contentment pass through the prism of Christ and become our reasons for contentment as well. Because we're in Christ, his father is our father. We belong to God and he is ours. Because we're in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters with one another. So we belong to each other as well. And while that may not meet all our wildest hopes and dreams, we can rejoice in that fellowship because it is true and is instituted by God for our good. Because we're in Christ, we can offer true worship to the true God. We can be assured that when we gather each Lord's Day, we're not wasting our time. God sends his very spirit to meet with us and to minister to us and give us his grace. Because we're in Christ, we have a heavenly perspective on our circumstances, realizing that despite if we put on our earthly glasses, no matter what things look like in earthly terms, we have this other way to look at things, this heavenly perspective that our faith in Christ allows us to see and to look beyond this life and be content in our circumstances here and now because we know that the Lord has assigned our lot and portion now And he's using it to bring us to our ultimate hope, which is the resurrection life in the world to come. So we also have that resurrection hope that David expressed in the final verses of Psalm 16. No matter what happens in this life, we are assured that we will live forever in the next with God. So during those nights or any other time when worry comes to your mind and torments you and you feel stress and anxiety and you feel weighed down by the things that are happening to you in this world, you can think about Psalm 16 and all of these reasons. You can turn and open it and read it and and take these words for yourself as the Lord's counsel to you in times of distress. It's not a guarantee that your worries will melt away or that your circumstances will change, but it's a powerful reminder from God himself in his word that the ultimate cause of our satisfaction never changes, which is God himself. He is our God. We belong to him. He is ours, and he is always by our side. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are... We are incapable of expressing the depth of gratitude we feel for all the promises you have made to us in Christ Jesus. We know how unworthy we are, and nevertheless, you have given us many gifts and reasons for contentment. Above all else, we have you. We have your body, our brothers and sisters in the faith. We have worship. We have the assurance that everything we experience comes from your hand. We have the counsel of the gospel, all your promises that bring us comfort in the midst of our anxiety. 
and we have the hope of the resurrection at the end of the age. Let us recall these truths, these secure blessings in Christ in our moments of crisis. May we not deny our troubles or ignore them, but let us with David find contentment in the confession that you are our Lord. We ask all of this in the unmatched name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd please.